One of the biggest ironies is the people who claim to love God the most were the ones who ended up killing him. And it begs the question, how do I, in the name of God, deny who he really is? You're listening to If That Makes Sense, Family Life's original podcast about what it's like to follow Jesus as a young adult. My name is Tim, and I'm in Family Life's radio production department. My name is Becky, and I'm in Family Life's development department. And I'm Mike, and I'm in Family Life's performing arts and events departments. Yeah, Pharisees are fun. Pharisees are are definitely a, a fun thing to think about. Whenever I think of a Pharisee, I have this great image in my head of like everything I watched as a kid, like Christian um, cartoons. We had one that I really liked called Story Keepers. So the Pharisees were like these, you know, very animated, literally animated characters. And they had this cool like brick on their forehead. <laughs> and it's part of their garb that they wore. I was like, that thing is so cool. That little block they have there is cool. It's like a historical thing. It's called a, I believe it's called a phylactery. Or something like that. Not it almost. <laughs> I think that's right. It sounds kind of like medical or biological. Like it's something mm-hmm. that a, a flower would have. Like oh, well, there's the, the the pistol and the stamen and the phylactery. But no, it's. I think that's the name of it, anyways. And it's the law. It's actually the law. It's written very tiny on on these little. I don't know if they're cards or or what. But do you know anything more about that um, little tradition? So I know that. In the Old Testament, it said to wear, I'm not sure if it was the law or the scriptures, on your forehead and I think on your wrist. Oh. Um, and so they took that literally and wore it on their foreheads um, <laughs> as a way to constantly keep it before them. Um, so I think that's where that came from. Wow. What a metaphor for what Phariseeism does mm. to say, well, it means the the heart of the matter means, you know, follow God's law and stuff. Right, right, right. Okay. But if I were to go above and beyond here, if I were to really get God's favor, if I were really to be serious about this thing, just to make sure I'll, I'll, I'll literally have God's word bound onto my head. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would be really uncomfortable. But yeah. And then you'd probably take pride in doing something that was uncomfortable because you're doing it for God. Mm, yes. Yeah. So that maybe is is a, re- a really interesting place to start talking about Phariseeism, modern day Pharisees. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. walk around with literal copies of God's word bound to our head. But what was it that they were doing with that? I would argue that that's a, an example of one of the key, one of the, one of the foundational things about what it means to be a Pharisee, which is legalism. And that's not something that just exists in the first century when you have people who are part of a religious group in Jesus' time called Pharisees who wear certain clothes and and all the stuff that we know that Pharisees historically did. But legalism is 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 part of that, right? Like it, it, it's it's taking something that's maybe meant to be a heart thing and making it an outward thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that how would you how would you get at defining legalism, or would you even see that as one of the key things that makes a Pharisee a Pharisee? Yeah, I think so. In in some of my preparation, I was just jotting down some ideas. I think part of us getting caught up in the things and forgetting about the people. 
mm. sort of a, mm. a a head over over heart. Yeah, I had I had just asked the question like, what are ways we get so caught up in ourselves that we miss what's most important? And I think that might be sort of where the Pharisees went awry and where we tend to go awry. As I was thinking about it, I was reminded that the Pharisees, at least to some extent, were well-meaning people. Hmm. It's not that they were against religion. They were like so caught up in it that they they missed the whole point of it. Hmm. Um, and so sometimes I often think of Pharisees as the, the bad guys or these evil people or these people out to get religion, and they're not the typical bad guys. They're misguided. And when I think of it that way, then suddenly that opens this whole realm of how am I a Pharisee sometimes? I think to some extent we all struggle with maybe not the entire list of top 12 things that make you a Pharisee, but at least some of them, as I was reading through some different different blogs and stuff, like I don't think that this is something that's just some sort of ancient thing and it's gone today. I think everybody struggles and deals with some of at least some of these things. Yeah, I think to agree with what you said, Mike, that it's they got so caught up in the letter of the law and following that to a T that it took out the why and the emotion behind what they were doing. It's like, okay, in order to be a Jew and follow the Jewish religion, I have to do a whole checklist of things. And so they got so tied up in that checklist that they forgot that the whole reason they're doing it is because they need to be perfect, but there's no way for them to be perfect, which is why Christ came. And they almost just missed the Christ part of it and just so focused on all of the to-dos and got so entangled in that that it distracted them from the real purpose. So they kind of got caught up in the what to do instead of the 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 love behind mm. why they're doing what they're doing. Right. What and why. Yeah. I think that's a big distinction there. What and why, how, yeah. How you get it wrong. Focusing on the what are you supposed to do rather than why are you doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something that we could easily fall into today because there's so many opportunities for us as the church to – minister at church, to minister outside of the church, that we get focused on the what needs to be done. Oh, in order for this ministry to happen, A, B, and C needs to be done, so you get focused on the what, and you completely forget the why you're doing it part. I love what was mentioned, Mike, about them not being the typical bad guys. They weren't just saying to themselves, what are ways that we can be evil? How can we persecute this really good guy named Jesus? Because the Pharisees were like his number one public enemy. Like they they, mm-hmm. they clashed with Jesus more than anybody else. He clashed with them more than anybody else. So they weren't just like, how can we tear about this Jesus guy? Or, or rather, they, they kind of were like that. But it's because of, it's not just because they saw, oh, he's nice and we don't like nice people. Or he's good, we don't like good, we're bad. It's because they stood for... They had a false vision of God that was wrapped up in supporting their idea of of what made them righteous. The question is then, why couldn't they see Jesus Mm. as the Son of God? What kept them from seeing him as the Son of God? It's not that they didn't have a chance. 
They mm-hmm. practically argued with the guy like every day, it seems like, when you read the Gospels. Like <laughs> they talked with Jesus more than anybody else, it seems. Like they were always butting heads. What kept them – maybe this is just an open question for us. What keeps a pharisaical heart from missing Jesus, from, from not seeing him when he's right in front of us? Because I think we, like you very accurately pointed out, both of you – we have pharisaical hearts today sometimes too. And it's a pharisaical heart that can keep us from seeing Jesus when he's right in front of us. I think one of those is being stuck in traditions. Hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I love traditions and I have several of them. Um, But it seemed to me that the Pharisees got stuck in their traditions and their rituals of religious acts they needed to do and they couldn't step out of that mold into, okay, this does not fall in with tradition, which is what we know and we are devoted to. And it's a big change from what we're used to. So I think one way that we can have a pharisaical heart is being stuck in tradition and not willing to take a step back and look at what is being presented in front of us to say, this is a good thing. Yes, it breaks this tradition, but it's okay to break it in that way and then to kind of shift your view from there. So what would that – that's an interesting point. I think that's a good point because I think that does get to part of what is – part of what is wrong in being a Pharisee, a modern-day Pharisee. But what kind of traditions would you be thinking of are the kind that are not worth being um, dogmatically attached to rather than those other ones that are pretty foundational, like doctrinal sort of things that we don't want to budge on. Mm -hmm. I would say if you can't find it in scripture and back it up well, then it's something that you can budge on. Um, So it would be something that you can't point to scripture and say, this is how it's interpreted and this is what it says would be my difference. I can't think of a better uh, example than – singing, but I'm sure there are. I I think that's a good one. Like you could say, well, we do, you know, hymns, for example, Mm, like mm -hmm. like we we sing hymns. That's just what we do. We do do hymns around here. And then somebody wants to change it and say, well, hey, well, uh, there's actually this really edifying, really scriptural contemporary worship chorus. If you're completely unwilling to be able to to see the value of something else when it's clearly just a man-made tradition, in, in this instance, hymns over a worship chorus, then maybe that's some evidence of uh, a place where we could let God warm and move our hearts a little bit so that they don't get frozen into into pharisaical ones. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I think you also had another one, a really, really, really big key of what makes a pharisaical heart when earlier you said being devoted to the what over the why. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of – uh, the only part of the book of Micah I know, uh, which is um, <laughs> uh, uh, Micah 6, 8. You know, we know that phrase that goes something along the lines of uh, act justly, walk, hum- uh, uh, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Because it's coming after a part where God is chastising the nation of Israel and saying, am I going to be pleased with 10,000 rivers of oil? Like, cause they would have offered oil to God or this many burnt sacrifices. Is that what I want? No, I want you to love mercy and act with justice and walk with humility with me. That's what I want. That's the heart of what I want. All these other things are the what's. Yeah, that's in my law, but that's only there because it's showing you the kind of heart to have. I mean, that's one way of understanding it. Putting a, a what before a why. 
something I was thinking about, and I don't, I'd be interested to hear your takes on this. So obviously, God has given us both a mind to think through things and a heart to feel things. And we often talk about logic and emotions, and they're both good. Oftentimes, I think there's probably a bent towards one or the other. And I think maybe to an extreme, if one if is completely out of whack and it's just logic, 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 no heart and no emotions, I wonder if that's sort of what gets you to the realm of legalism and Phariseeism, as I was creating this list, not original lists that I stole from other people. Um, so if they're wrong, it's not my fault. <laughs> but just a couple of things here. A Pharisee is more concerned about maintaining their status and reputation rather than being in a place of vulnerability or weakness. Hmm. A Pharisee makes issues black and white. They don't like gray matters and and I was thinking specifically of the story where um, the Pharisees are going to stone this woman who is caught in sin. And Jesus said, "Who, whichever of you is without sin, pick up the rock and, and make the first throw. And that stuff's hard for me because I like things to be black and white. And if the penalty for her sin was to be stoned, then... Wouldn't I be going against what God wants if I said, I know she sinned, but it's fine. I'm not going to. Hmm. So so that's where I start going down this realm of like Jesus came and radically shifted everybody's everybody's ways of thinking. But but back to the, the logic versus emotions, it makes no logical sense not to do what the law says. It made no logical sense not to stone this woman Christ came and radically overthrew some of these ideas that people had. Hmm. Hmm. Um, that makes me think about a couple. A couple things on that it makes me think. Uh, makes me think about how Jesus says, "I'm going to maybe not get this exactly right, but in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth.' But I say to you." If you're if you're slapped on on the left cheek, turn your right also. And you know if your neighbor takes your your cloak, give him your 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 shirt also. So like, and when he what he's quoting there, he's he's actually he's quoting the old law. Like, if mm-hmm. that's that's where the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth part comes from. So kind of the the age old difficult question here that people pose is: Wait, are we looking at two other kind of two versions of God here? Okay, well, obviously the answer has got to be no. God doesn't change. Jesus in the New Testament is is showing us more clearly who God has always been. But but at the same time, we can't ignore the fact that he is radically sharpening the focus, we could say, hmm. or radically reintroducing us, um, radically... Uh, bringing us maybe face to face with God, but Jesus clearly does um, uh, change how we see things because he is, as the word says, he's the fulfillment of the law. One of my favorite verses in the scripture is, it's said a few different times throughout scripture, but in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Mm. And the context of these verses is the Pharisees specifically asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And this is his response. So, Mike, the question you posed on logic versus heart and emotion and mind and all of that, I think the difficult answer is it's a mixture of both and all because if we're going to navigate what the scriptures say and the world, we need to use our logic and our brains to interpret it and to figure out, okay, what does it say? Why do I believe it? And what am I going to stand on? But we also need to use our emotions and our heart and to learn to give grace because God gives me grace. Um, hmm. So I think one of the challenging parts that's always convicted me here is to get the focus off of myself and to put the focus on God. Because if I'm loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind, he's going to help me navigate those but then if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, it's going to help define that line of I'm going to show you love and grace in this circumstance where I should really just throw the law at you. But there's that tough love kind of thing of, OK, I'm going to give you a second chance or I'm going to forgive you, but we need to work towards fulfilling the law in the future instead of constantly breaking it. Mm. Um, so I'm not quite sure if that makes as much sense out of my head as it does in my head, but yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, it does. Can you point out, can you think of, can you even think of in your life anything, a stupid thing or or a big thing, who knows, that is a Pharisee tendency you have? Would you be willing to share it with the entire universe on a podcast at, on the internet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can only pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, Mike. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's something that I really get frustrated at myself for doing is I'll look at other people's problems. And, of course, I'm not going to solve it for them because that would be rude. But I'll think those things. <laughs> I'll think, well, if you would do these things instead of doing this, you wouldn't have this problem. Or... I doubt that you read your Bible every morning. Probably if you read your Bible every morning, this wouldn't be a struggle for you. That's something that convicted me as I was preparing for this. I was realizing I do that all the time and I can hide behind little things of, oh, I'm just trying to be helpful or I'm not proud or anything like this, but something that I really need to watch and be mindful of. Mm. The one that I struggle with the most um, I personally am a black and white, you give me a rule, everybody's going to follow it, especially if you're a Christian, because that's your testimony. And if you're agreeing to these rules, why are you not following them? And so I can get very judgmental and critical with, okay, but black and white, it says this. So this is what we're going to do when I may not always follow them myself, if I'm being completely honest. Answering my own question here, I would say, I guess what really comes to mind for Pharisees, another big thing is comparing yourself to others in like a righteousness sense and being hypocritical about that. So there are others, but one I will list as my failing 
is not extending to others the same grace that I expect or sometimes demand from others for myself. So when I fail, I expect a certain amount of grace from brothers and sisters in Christ to be given to me in my life. And sometimes I'll fault others if they if I don't feel like they're giving me the grace that I think I deserve, which of course is silly because it's it cut, it cuts counter to what the meaning of grace is. Grace is something good that we don't deserve. So then sometimes when others fail, I'll look down on them. I'll judge them. Come on, man. What are you doing with your life? Get it together. You know, that's so that's just one for myself is when I fail, I expect to be given grace. And when others fail, I don't always extend that same grace that I expect for myself. One of the biggest things that Pharisees did wrong was misrepresenting God to uh, claiming to speak for God and misrepresenting him to people. And I hope to God that I do that as little as possible. But I think where that starts is thinking that you have the right idea of God and exactly what he's like and that people who have certain different beliefs than you are always wrong. I'm talking about within the faith here. I'm not not talking about like this is not a, a question of, you know, like an interreligious group or anything, but like within the body of Christ, within people who call themselves Christians, thinking I see God more clearly, more accurately, more rightly than you do. And so that gives me some right to think you don't know what you're talking about here. And that's pharisaical of me to judge this other person's relationship with God. And I'm, uh, yeah, that, that can lead to a lot of outward pharisaical behaviors too, things that start in our own heads. I think one of the biggest ironies is the people who claim to love God the most were the ones who ended up killing him. And it begs the question, how do I, in the name of God, deny who he really is? And how often do I fall into those stereotypings and say, well, to this person on the street, come to church, but clean yourself up first. Like, don't wear those things. Don't talk like that. Don't embarrass me. You need to put yourself together first, then come to church mm. or any anything like that. How how do I hinder God in the name of God? Mm. Oh, wow. Where to begin? Uh, I, I think that's the biggest one is maybe self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that when you hear people's objections to Christianity or being a Christian or going to church, sadly, they're not crazy, actually. They call things like self-righteous and judgmental. Which, of course, is the opposite of what we should be. Mm-hmm. But it's just what the Pharisees were. And that's why I think the whole theme of what we're talking about today is so relevant because we're not talking about anyone else when we talk about Pharisees. We're talking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees are always going to be the people who are inside of the religious community that speaks for the God of the Bible. That's who they were in Jesus' day. They were talking about the God of the Bible. But they were the ones who were really the ones who he had the most to say to. That's always going to be us. This is always going to be a, bi- a battle <laughs> we're true. fighting. And he doesn't even need us to, to the point of self-righteousness. Like God could fulfill his mission so much quicker and effectively without us. 
he doesn't he doesn't need us and i just think wow that's kind of funny that he's choosing to use us and we're stepping in the way all the time we're always giving a bad reputation to god we're always meddling in things we shouldn't be doing like wow god that's you have a lot of patience up there mm-hmm. to to take us poor people who think we're all that and to choose to use us not because you need us but because you want to use us for some crazy reason. Yeah, absolutely. Thank God for that, literally. <laughs> and I think it's encouraging too to know that it's not a hopeless cause because you look at the Bible and Paul was a Pharisee. Um, and so the fact that we look at these Pharisees and we're like, oh, I really don't want to be like that. And then we realize in some ways we definitely are like that. But then there's the encouragement of God can still use us and still chooses to use us. And if we doubt that, there's proof right in Scripture that God turns that negative part of us and uses it for good. Mm, Like he always does. Mm. So what actually helps? What helps put this to death in ourselves, in our church communities even, What actually helps a pharisaical heart? I would start with examining my heart and my attitude and my reasons for doing what I do. I noticed often it's not that they were doing wrong things. It's not that we do wrong things. It's that our reasoning, like Becky was saying, we're after the what rather than the who. We're not interested in the people. We're interested in the task to get done because One thing I was wondering is there's scripture like in Galatians uh, 6. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And I thought, well, okay, so the opposite of a Pharisee isn't just to like put your blinders on and not worry about what anybody's doing and let your brothers and sisters stray over here and stray over here. Later on in James, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul and will cover a multitude of sins. So it's not that we just say, well, everybody can do whatever they want to. I I think the key is, it says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And I Mm. think that's the key. When I see this brother who's struggling and I'm tempted to think, well, if you would just read your Bible, you wouldn't have this problem. That's not a spirit of gentleness or a Mm. spirit of love or a spirit of grace. So that's, in my mind, pharisaical, and that's that's a problem. But I can look at this brother and, and gently restore him for the right reasons because I love him and say, hey, let me let me walk alongside you. How can I help you through this rather than just sort of shove him away and say it's not worth it, it's a lost cause. Mm. Truth and love, speaking of the truth, truth and love. love. I would agree um, with Mike. The first thing I would do is examine myself and ask why am I doing this? Um, and this is a question that I try to repetitively ask myself of why am I – doing what I'm doing? What is the heart and the reason behind it? That way, when I'm doing things like serving at church and it's the same thing I do each week, 
why am I doing it? And if I'm constantly asking myself, that's helping me to keep the right focus, but also the willingness to, I've heard it phrased as climb into the pit with. When I see someone who needs help or for whatever reason, or I see a problem that they're not confronting and I want to help them alongside of that is instead of being like, well, here's the problem and you need to do X, Y, and Z, to do what Jesus did and just get down onto their level. He ate with sinners and tax collectors instead of Pharisees because he wanted to get down and get in the pit with them. Um, So I'm not saying get in the pit and sin with them, but get in the pit and be willing to be that comforter, that encourager, that, okay, you can get through this, let's do this together, constantly pointing them, but also yourself to Christ. Um, And I think that'll help navigate the pharisaical tendencies that we all have. Because if literally God can decide to, first of all, become a human being, Mm -hmm. which is like the ultimate humility, like that that's a more humble act than we could ever do if we if, if we tried to do the most humble thing we could think about. <laughs> we could never condescend as much mm-hmm. as God did when he decided to become a human being. If he can do that and then while he's a human being be the most humble man possible and washing feet and uh, taking the place of like a household slave and how he served his disciples then how can we think we're above <laughs> How can I think I'm above anything? It's it is humbling because I do that a lot. I think yeah, that's that's not my job. Or or oh, I'm I'm a little better than that. I'm a little better than that that person over there. Like wow, how can how can I this tiny fleck of dust of a human being <laughs> compared to <laughs> what Jesus did? Think of myself at all on on a pedestal above above anyone else instead of taking his example of complete and utter humility. I think that's the word that puts Phariseeism to death when we can live it out, is humility. Yeah, I agree with you. Praying for humility, I guess, reading God's word, trying to live like Jesus, (laughs) fighting the temptation all along the way to be proud of how well we're doing with our humility. (laughs) Look at how humble I am. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Do we have a lot of work to do or what? But... Like you said, Becky, praise God that he saved Pharisees. Uh, You you know, he wouldn't have spent so much time dealing with them if he didn't have a heart for them to change. So Pharisees like us, we can change too. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.